Hello. Welcome to the holiday special of the Six Queens podcast. First holiday special, I should say, which is exciting. Just in case you were wondering, we have come dressed in festive garb. We've got Kate sporting a lovely Christmas hat. Very nicely modelled. I'm sad the others can't see it now. Well, apparently I have to be the one to model the festive headwear while you bring the festive apparel. I love your jumper. Thank you. I love a reindeer. And an ugly Christmas jumper. I have to say the uglier the better. I know. I don't have one. I have to stick to the hats, apparently. That is fine. That is, I'm excited for your Easter bonnet, though, in, in the next year. I have to work on that. <laughs> But um, no, we're back. And dare I say, bigger and better than ever with a newly uh, formed Instagram page. So if you haven't already gone and uh, found us on Instagram, that's Six Queens Pod. So go and give us a follow. We're also finally on all of the major podcast apps. So Spotify, Apple and Google. I know it's been a long time coming, but we are there. So if you're listening to us on any of those apps, good for you. If you are not, go find us there and give us a follow, leave a review, all that jazz. We love that. Uh, this episode is coming to you um, from, from the UK on Boxing Day. So um, you, you guys don't have Boxing Day in the States, though, do you? Well, we have December 26th, but it is not known as Boxing Day. Well, uh, I, I, I'd imagine the date still exists, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just goes 25-27. No, it's just um, the day after Christmas. So it's not a thing. It, I mean, it is sort of a casual observance of, you know, you sit around with your family and you think, what now? Uh, but it is not a designated holiday for, for us as it is for you. For those of you thinking, what now? Go find us on our new platform to go listen to us. <laughs> I'm sure you've got a fun new device, you know, maybe like a speaker or something that you could uh, blast us through. So that's exciting. This episode, we are going to be focusing on New Year's gift giving. And I bet you're all sitting there wondering why New Year's, why not Christmas gift giving? Well, that is an excellent question. And that is something we're going to be having a look through and having a chat about through this episode. I'm Kate. I'm Callie. We're two friends who met in an early modern history MA. Welcome to the Six Queens podcast, where queenship reigns supreme. So I think it's worth probably stating Christmas for the the Tudors, much like I suppose um, it is for us now, is a time of rest for a lot of people, but it looks a little bit different. Christmas was observed um, throughout the Tudor period over a course of 12 days, known as the 12 days of Christmas. The, the kind of run up to the, to the 12 days of Christmas was called Advent. And that was a time for kind of fasting um, and getting ready for the 12 days of Christmas. Um, and again, much like our Christmas, um, it was a period of rest for a lot of people, um, especially people who um, worked the land and were employed as spinners. So unless you, you, you know, you're in charge of the livestock, you actually got a bit of time off and would go back to work on Plough Monday, which is the day after the 12 days of Christmas ends, which is usually the 7th. But of course, we are talking about the Tudor court and uh, not a lot of people observed Plough Monday in the Tudor court, as you can imagine. So we are going to be focusing on the 12 days of Christmas celebration at court, which was a huge thing that people looked forward to all year. It was one of the times during the year that everybody at court came together. There was a lot of feasting. 
And as Callie said, there were 12 days of this. So every day kind of had a different theme purpose, I might say. Uh, Christmas Day was the kickoff day, and then it went all the way to January 6th, which is 12th night, uh, or the Feast of the Epiphany, when the wise men came to Bethlehem to see the baby Jesus. So from Christmas until then, pretty much every day there is some feast or party or religious significant uh, event. We are going to be focusing on a day in the middle of the 12, which is New Year's Day. And this was a day when there was a really big celebration at court. There was a formal court, meaning that the king and the queen wore their crowns. There was a feast. There was a time when they went to church to hear a mass. And it was also a day when they exchanged gifts. As Kate was saying, the um, formal court was held at the Tudor court. As um, Henry's reign kind of progressed, the court itself, and especially the Christmas court, became a lot more lavish in the way that gifts were given um, and with the way gifts were exchanged, really. What was happening was a formal gift giving ceremony where presents were displayed and it's quite interesting the way that that the gift exchange is documented and and the way uh, it's kind of handled i think during the uh, um, earlier years of henry's reign um especially um it was quite an intimate thing um, where gifts were exchanged in private in the the, um private chambers of the king and the queen and then as his reign um progressed and his court became more lavish and he became more of the center of court I i think it's fair to say that ritual of gift giving was moved more into the public setting at it uh, became more um, a formalized ritual where gifts were presented and then displayed in a kind of hierarchical sense. You know, they were out on display. I don't think it'd be unfair to say um, that much like everything else in Henry's court, this could be seen as a sort of test of loyalty from his courtiers. And uh, if, it, you know, your gift was accepted and displayed prominently, you know, it was, it was sort of seen as, you know, you're in favor with the king. Whereas, you know, they weren't accepted, and we've got a lovely example of that being a bit awkward a bit later um, uh, for one of our queens, is, you know, they, they were returned to you and the king wouldn't receive them. Yeah, this was seen as a very political thing. Uh, it could be intimate, as you said, but most of the gifts given by the king and to the king or the queen It was a political move. So all of the gifts would be on display. Everybody would know who got the king what. Everybody would know who got what from the king. So if you were in or out of favor, this was a really nice sort of temperature check. And obviously, uh, your other courtier, the other courtiers would know if you weren't giving the king or the queen a nicer gift than you probably should. But it's interesting that with the growing of the ceremony into something more elaborate because you know by the end of the Tudor period by the reign of Elizabeth this was a a really big lavish ceremony in in Henry VIII's reign though we see it becoming a little bit more I don't know um clinical like there were some gifts that were a little bit more intimate like Henry might give one of his wives a more intimate gift and you know vice versa they to him but he would also hand out gifts to his courtiers in general there would even be gifts for the staff the servants those gifts were usually a bit less not impressive but not as personal They would be something like plate, like goblets or plates made of gold or silver, depending on your status. They could be gifts of money, cash. 
They could be gifts of small jewels. They were usually something that wasn't as, yeah, personal. It You might give your ladies-in-waiting, say, the same goblet embossed with a Tudor rose or whatever your your queenly badge is as as their yearly gift instead of something like we would do like a oh I bought you this necklace because it reminds me of you it's let me commission all of these plate to give out at New Year's because I need to give my courtier something right and I think I think like you said it, it's the difference between giving someone a necklace because it you know it reminded you of them to oh, here's a box of chocolates because I forgot to get them and I picked them up at the, the, you know, the gas station or something. Well, it's not as distinct as that. I think, you know, the intimacy associated with each gift could be seen in that sort of way. And it must have been frustrating for some of the courtiers because there there's this competition within the circles to get Henry something really impressive. Like we can yeah. see that in the letters of Lord and Lady Lyle, who are living in Calais. At the time, they're really fretting over what to give the king every year for New Year's. And they know it has to be impressive because if it's not, other people will know that it's not impressive. And it really says something about your status what your New Year's gift to the king is. And also it was the added pressure of you presenting it to the king himself. After um, the king and queen woke up on New Year's Day, they probably went to a church service. There was a feast at the end of the day, but before that they would sit in state and receive these gifts. And like Callie yeah. said, they'd be out on display. So there was the added pressure of seeing his face when you gave him the thing. So you better hope that it's impressive. Literally. And I think it's really interesting that you picked up on the, the Lyles, because as you said, they were in Calais. So I think it's fair to say that um, Lord Lyle was always a bit um, a bit worried about his position, you know, especially being so far away from the physical presence of Henry and uh, away from, from court itself, which is where, you know, a lot of people would gain their... Um, gain traction and kind of move move their way up in the world and there's a really lovely example and I think it comes from 1534 I can't remember exactly what the gift was but um Lyle had someone present the gift to Henry and then immediately write to him what what was said about it you know what was Henry's reaction and and things like that and I think um the response was he received it right joyly and I can almost imagine this kind of very relieved Lyle just like sinking back in his chair and just wiping the sweat off his forehead like say for another year you know um i can keep doing what i'm doing and you save some face um with your with your peers your fellow courtiers in that way but i'm just thinking too like after you go to all the trouble to you know commission something really great for the king and the queen and you present it or you have somebody present it and give you the status update in return Henry's assistant or like I'm just I'm imagining like the Devil Wears Prada like somebody like an Anne Hathaway standing next to him handing you a plate like a silver plate like yep here you go happy new year and you're like oh thanks it's the same one that you know like the Duke of Norfolk got wow great the same souvenir like you know Hampton Court 2021 (laughs) but I think as well um just picking up on that idea as well I think a lot of the time you can kind of see people who knew their fates were sort of they, they were all right because they'd get him um, something very similar each year. Um, and, it, you know, it was always well received. For other people, you know, they had to kind of pull out all the stops and go hard or go home, really. And the same was true for our queens. Uh, though, again, we talk about Henry as the centre of this court. Gifts were being given to the queen and by the queen in much the same way. They don't tend to be as well documented as the ones that Henry was getting, unfortunately. But we do know that she was giving and receiving gifts, especially to people within her household. 
Uh, so the queen's ladies in waiting could expect something from their mistress every year. She might also give things to the men in Henry's household because Henry gave gifts to the women in the queen's household. And in some cases, uh, you would give a gift to your stepchildren as well. So there's evidence of Jane Seymour and Catherine Howard and Catherine Parr giving gifts to Henry's children for New Year, this sort of happy family thing. Um, and we also know that the queens, in much the same way, would give these sort of standardized gifts. Uh, some were more impressive than others, but in it was sort of the same ritual as giving the king a, a gift, but maybe a little bit on a lesser scale. And I think it's interesting that when you read the accounts of these gifts, especially where concerned the queens, you get a very, very accurate portrait and an interesting different portrait of what's going on personally in the lives of the queens especially as concerns their relationship with henry 100 percent. like there, there's there's really you you can't interpret it any other way can you what they were giving him and then it you know what he was giving them it's 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 very very clear and I, I think that the, the presence that they really had at court as well is quite interesting because, again, it's that physical association with Henry as well as what he's giving you or really what he's not giving or receiving from you. So I think one of the um, kind of best examples that we really have of that is Catherine of Aragon, bless her soul, um, being being expelled from court. And then on New Year, um, Anne Boleyn being installed in her apartment at that very sort of intimate time really you know where everyone was all together and everybody would know exactly what's going on I, I, I suppose a bit more than any other time of year because everyone was there you can also see the relationships growing and waning so waning in that sense of um that year that Catherine was banished from court she did not receive a new year's gift and growing in the sense of you can see when Jane Seymour starts to be noticed a little bit more because she appears on the New Year's rolls in 1534. And though she's not receiving a personal gift from Henry, she's getting one of those like, you know, standardized souvenir plates um, as part of Anne's retinue. It's still she appears for the first time on that list. And you can really see that impact of like, oh, wow, in four years, she's going to be queen. But I think it goes back to the idea of everything at court is politicised. Everything at court has a meaning. And while it is Christmas, you know, 12 days of Christmas and, you know, everyone's very festive and jolly, there is that underlying reminder of, I, I you know, I've got to keep putting my best foot forward. Now is not the time to slip. And if you did slip in the year, this would be the time where the king would probably make you remember it and everyone would notice. It would be recorded, like maybe the imperial ambassador, Eustache Chapuis, would be there and he's a notorious gossip. So a lot of what we know that went down at the Tudor Christmas court is through Chapuis. So, you know, thank you, you know, bitter gossip, Eustache. Everyone notices what you do at court. And I think with a ritual like this, it is very emphasized. Like, I know we've talked about this a lot, and we talked about this on our Hampton Court episode that we did in our last series about this idea that everything at court is observed. It's a stage for performing politics. The New Year's gift-giving ceremony is really, like, I can't stress it enough that this is your moment to shine if you want to. And if you messed up during the year, this is the time where everyone's going to know. It's like, imagine a, a secret Santa party at your office, christmas party except your boss 
is the only one getting gifts and everyone will know if you just get him like a stapler or something sorry i love this idea of chapuis being almost like gossip girl just like xoxo chapuis (laughs) um yeah it, it, it it it's not unnoticed and i think one of the clearest examples of that, you know, as we mentioned, you know, Catherine of Aragon being not only expelled from court that year uh, in 1531, she, she also didn't receive a gift from Henry. And the gift that she actually sent him was returned to her um, with a reminder, a very firm reminder about her place in his life, that she was no longer his wife. And um, she basically had no business giving him a gift. And meanwhile, he's increasing the amount of gifts that he's giving to his um I say mistress in a loose term, but his mistress, Anne Boleyn, Catherine gets nothing. In fact, that year in the New Year's rolls um, in the account of all of the gifts that the king gave and received next to to the queen is just left blank. Whereas Anne that year, uh, Thomas Cromwell was the keeper of the jewel house at the time, and Henry gives him an order to deliver all of these jewels, uh, silver and gold plate, all of this extremely expensive stuff. It's a whole list. We'll read it in the second half. It's really fascinating. She's getting all of these really lavish gifts and Catherine gets nothing. If there's anything more telling than that as to the status of their relationship, please let me know. I I think it goes back to the idea of, you know, silence speaking more than words and, you know, the silence being deafening. And I think for Catherine, since she'd been queen, that's really, other than 1511, after she'd just given birth to um, hers and uh, Henry's son, who unfortunately didn't live for very long, um, that's the only time she misses court at Christmas, you know, while she's still queen. The embarrassment and the isolation of that, I can't, I can't begin to imagine, because, again, we've discussed this before, but Catherine is a very proud woman with a very strong sense of who she is. it's not something she's going to get over easily. And sorry, but I'm going to hit you all over the head with this. Everybody noticed. She wasn't there. She received nothing. Everybody knew. And like you said, she was a very proud woman, rightly so, because of her, you know, her as a person and her status. She knew that she was being slighted. She knew that everybody knew she was being slighted. I just can't imagine how humiliating that that must have been. Absolutely. And I think when we couple it with who the guest of honour is at court that year. Yeah, a few years before the guest of honour at Christmas, um, at the Christmas court had been Cardinal Campeggio, who was from the the Vatican, and he was sent to England to basically get rid of Catherine. He was there to see if Henry's uh, request for an annulled marriage was uh, canonically valid. I guess. And Henry was like, okay, let's show him a good time. Let's butter him up. And meanwhile, Catherine's sitting at the high table like, this is awkward. (laughs) It's the equivalent of a Christmas car crash. You know when you watch a really bad Christmas movie and you know it's bad, but you can't look away. I'd imagine it being like for kind of courtiers around them just watching what's going on. Be like, oh, make it stop. And again, it's not subtle on Henry's part. Everyone can see, everyone can see that there's this random Italian guy at the high table who's being wined and dined by Henry so that he can get rid of Henry's wife. So I don't know. It just, I I wasn't even there and I can feel the secondhand embarrassment. A lot of the time I often like to think I'd like to be a fly on the wall at court because I just, oh, you you, you know how much I love courtly politics and just court life as a whole. But I'd, I'd take a day off that day. I'd be like, <clears throat> 
I got the plague. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I can't come in. In the second half of the episode, which is imminent, we will be talking a little bit more about uh, the details of the gifts that were given to and by the queens, a lot of which we have already alluded to. But we just wanted to give you the sort of taste of what was going on at court at New Year's and uh, in the larger 12 days of Christmas. New Year's was one of the big days in that festival. It was a huge day at court. Everyone was there. Like we said, it was ceremonial. So the king and queen were in full splendor with their crowns and their nicest clothes. And then the gift giving was so, so important for a myriad of reasons. So in the second half, we will tell you more about the gifts that really stood out to us and the years to the the New Year's courts that are described in a little bit more detail by the, the record keepers and just give you a taste of what their Christmases and New Year's were like. Now that you know all about what was happening on New Year's Day at the Tudor Court, we wanted to relate it specifically to our queens and talk about some specific New Year's experiences of our queens, particularly through the gift giving, which, as we said, was very important sort of gauge of their romantic and political status, where they stood with Henry, both as his wife, queen, love interest, but also um, was she in favor politically with what was she giving to people to really cement her role as queen etc we went through uh the letters and papers of the tudor court which is a really awesome source it's a victorian calendar of papers so uh victorian archivists went through a lot of different tudor sources and put together this compendium of all the different primary sources so you can search them by date so basically just went to every every January 1st during Henry VIII's reign to see what we could find. And this is what you're going to hear. You're going to hear some of the things that stood out to us the most. Uh, not every queen is going to be covered in detail. Sorry about that. The records are just better for some than others. But we still got a lot of really interesting little tidbits for you. And I think, honestly, with this, firstly, going through all of those papers and like letters and things is such fun. Yeah, as I was going through them reading, there would be some that were, you know, thank you, Gossip Girl, Chapuis, that were just a lot more meatier than others. And I would text you like, oh, my God, we have to use this. We have to quote this exactly because this is just so interesting. It's like the whole all of the drama of the Tudor court can be seen in like one day of the year. Which I guess is true of everybody's Christmas. Like all the family drama comes out on Christmas, right? When you're all together. This is the Tudor equivalent of that. So I, I know we, I know we brought it up briefly in the, in the first half. But I think Catherine of Aragon is the, dare I say, queen, pun intended, um, of swings and roundabouts at New Year's Eve. You know, I think they're probably the scene of her greatest triumph. And also, as I mentioned earlier, the the source of her greatest embarrassment, really, or downfall, I suppose both. So in um, 1511, Catherine actually gave birth to um, Henry, who was nicknamed the New Year's Prince. Um, So actually wasn't able to be present at court for the festivities. But what we do know is that Henry was, um, the eighth, I should say, because there's two Henrys now involved in this conversation, um, was absolutely over the moon and I, I think it's somewhat 
I don't know, I suppose symbolic, really, that he happened to be born during the 12 days of Christmas. And especially on New Year's Day, where it was this kind of big celebration anyway, and then throwing a, a, a prince on top was just going to be the icing on the cake. And, you know, there's there's records of um, him ordering bonfires um, to be let all across London and th- to, to celebrate the birth of his son to coincide with the New Year. We've talked about this before, this idea of the Queen's role and her her biggest role being to give birth to male heirs. Uh, Catherine had already suffered a miscarriage earlier in her marriage, but this was the first uh, living child that she gave birth to, and it was a boy. So, yeah, Henry was over the moon. And like you said, the fact that he was born during the time of year when we celebrate the birth of Christ like the sim- the symbolism behind that is is huge people are already there at court celebrating so why not make it better uh Henry was really really happy about this there was a famous tourney that uh didn't happen during the 12 days of Christmas but happened shortly after to celebrate the you know the furthering of the Tudor dynasty so this was really Catherine's big moment as queen she gave birth to a son but as we know it didn't really work out well for her in the end no not at all and i don't i think with this as well for a man whose ego is so well as as large as his waistline would become later in the, down the line the fact that you know as you as you mentioned it's it's all coinciding with um you know the time of year where christ is born and things like that and in a deeply religious society i don't think that would have been lost on anybody even more poignant than when a few weeks later, I think a, a month or five weeks or so later, um, little little Prince Henry tragically dies. Yeah, which, you know, we've already discussed is not uncommon in this period. However, again, if we look at the symbolism attached to his birth and things like that, would have dealt an even bigger blow. And then as we touched on in the first half in the 1530s, Catherine's New Year's celebrations just get progressively worse until she is not even there at all. Uh, first, Cardinal Campeggio is there as the guest of honor. And then in the subsequent years, it's like Catherine's role is lessened and lessened as Anne Boleyn becomes more influential and more in Henry's favor. And Henry is more willing to publicly declare his intentions towards Anne. I think the fact that she was installed in Catherine's apartments around the, you know, that the celebration at court at Christmas is a big deal. Everybody's there. It's not going away. It's not escaping anybody's attention. And I think even more telling of the, the, her, the her continual downward spiral is um, she actually gifted Henry a gold cup. As, as we kind of mentioned in the first half, you know, all the gifts were displayed and you know, it was very public about which gifts he, you know, turned his nose up at and which ones he accepted and accepted well. Catherine's one wasn't even accepted. It was returned back to her. Not only was it returned back to her, but it was returned back to her with a air of, how dare you? Like, who, almost who do you think you are? You have no business doing this. Why are you putting me in a position? Why are you doing this to begin with? This is absolutely unacceptable. Don't ever think to do this again. That, yeah, that happened Christmas 1531, New Year's 1532. So the the gift was given to Henry on New Year's Day 1532. And I just, I did want to read the account that uh, Chapuis 
rights of that, just because uh, Chapuis, as the imperial ambassador, so he was sending reports to Charles V, the King of Spain and the Holy Roman Emperor. Obviously, that was Catherine's nephew. So Chapuis was very invested in what was going on with Catherine at the court. And as we can imagine, he was absolutely outraged by this incident. So he writes about it in particular detail. And I just wanted to uh, read a little bit of it just so you all can see how dramatic and political this was. So Chapuis writes in his letter to Charles V on the 4th of January, 1532, though the queen, in this case Catherine, has been forbidden to write or send messages to the king, she sent him a gold cup as a present with honorable and humble words, but the king refused it and was displeased with the person who presented it. Two or three hours afterwards, he looked at it and praised its fashion and fearing that the person who presented it would return it to the queen's messenger and that the latter might make a present of it publicly to the other who could not refuse it, he ordered it not to be returned till the evening. And so it was sent back to the queen. The king has sent her no present and has forbidden the council and others to do so as is usual. He used to send New Year's presents to the ladies of the queen and the princess, but this has not been done this year. Thus, they will lower the state of both unless there is speedy remedy. And then um, Chapuis also notes later in that letter that, um, of course, Anne Boleyn is being showered with gifts. And he goes into those in a detail that we'll get to in a moment. But he he correctly notes that, um, you know, this is going to be the this is the beginning of the end for both Catherine and Mary, because not only are they not receiving gifts, Henry is not receiving their gifts, and he's also not giving gifts to their household. So they are just, it's like they're being completely wiped out. And also, I, I particularly, I think the thing I particularly enjoy about that extract is that Chapuis' awareness of his surroundings and you know, being at court, you know, if I was to send it straight back, it's going to look as though I was gifting it back to her and it was being perceived as a gift. We're not, we're not doing that. You know, we're nipping that straight in the bud. She can have it back in the evening. Yeah, it's awkward. I mean, again, we've we've said this thousands of times, I think, by now, but it's just this idea that it's a game. It's it's a play. It's all so choreographed and orchestrated to the point of a marital spat, I guess more than a spat in this case. But, um, you know, to to marry people fighting like this manifests itself in such a formal, ritualized way. Yeah, we can't stress enough how, you know, important this moment is and i think chapuis telling the emperor about this as an important event it wasn't just like hey i know some drama went down at family christmas you should know about it's like a hey just to let you know your aunt's really in trouble now but what i love most about it is that the ability to fight through ritual right so you're not having to have a screaming match in the middle of court although that would have been fantastic but just that sleight of hand or, you know, receiving or not receiving a gift you know, or the time in which something is returned back to you and, you know, the wider people around you that are implicated is something deliciously Tudor and I appreciate it, although I feel terrible for Catherine. Continuing with this specific entry by Chapuis, this brings us nicely into Anne Boleyn because, of course, the Anne Boleyn stuff is happening sort of in tandem with the Catherine stuff. As Catherine's falling, Anne is rising. So in Chapuis' note to Charles, he goes on to say that uh, Henry has not been so discourteous to the lady, which is one of his like shady nicknames for Anne. 
who has presented him with certain darts of Biscayan fashion richly ornamented. So this is Anne's gift to Henry that year. In return, Henry gave her a room hung with cloth of gold and silver and crimson satin with rich embroideries. She is lodged where the queen used to be and is accompanied by almost as many ladies as if she were queen. This is something we've talked about before. This is Anne taking formal possession of Catherine's rooms and the significance of this on the sort of formal court end can not be understated just because she is now possessing not only the physical space of the queen, but she has as many ladies as Catherine used to. And Henry, for his New Year's gift, is sending her furnishings for the rooms. Furnishings fit for a queen. It's ginormous. Let's be real. Like, the rooms themselves have such a big significance about, um, you know, they are the rooms of the queen. So by Henry installing Anne in those rooms, he's all but saying she's queen without the name. You know, at this point, there, there's no turning back. It's very public at this point. You know, no, no one's missing this. And looking at all of the gifts to and given by Anne, which we actually have a lot of documentation for. Anne was a patroness of the arts, so we have a lot of really interesting gifts that are in her accounts. But I think the theme that ties together all of the gifts given to and given by Anne is this idea of Anne being obsessed, but not in a negative way, about her appearance, how people perceive her and her queenship and her position. And whereas some other queens might be more want to give a personal gift, Anne is about the show. She's playing the game of court. She's sending Henry lavish things. She's getting lavish things from Henry. She is in direct contest with Catherine, so she needs to make sure that she is eclipsing Catherine in every possible way. And a material way, a very showy way, is a really good place to make a statement. It feeds into that idea of monarchical majesty creating the illusion of, you know, the image and the everything, all the trappings that go along with being a king or a queen. You know, it's not just the name. You know, we've again, we've mentioned this before, but I just bloody love it. And I think a particularly lovely example and kind of very obvious example of this is a, a gift that Hen- uh, Anne has commissioned for Henry um, by Hans Holbein, which is the fountain. And I'll see if we can find a picture of it to pop on um, Twitter and um, Instagram. Um, it, it's very ornate and it's very expensive. And it's something that Holbein would have had to spend a lot of time crafting, given that it was going to Henry. This was, this was not a small gesture. This was big. And compare that to a gift that we know Catherine gave Henry. I mean, she might have been trying to be a little bit more modest that year, sending Henry a uh, a gold cup, a gold goblet. So an expensive gift, but maybe not as showy of a gift, although Henry did admire its craft. Um, but this is something that you cannot ignore. It's a tabletop fountain, and uh, the sketch of it, like Callie said, still exists, luckily, so we know exactly what it looked like. There's also a description of it in the King's um, New Year's gift rolls, where the clerk describes it as a goodly gilt basin, having a rail or board of gold in the midst of the brim, garnished with rubies and pearls, wherein standeth a fountain, also having a rail of gold about it, garnished with diamonds. 
out thereof issueth water at the teats of three naked women standing at the foot of the same fountain. So glittering with gold and jewels, this was this was a showpiece. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think what's also interesting is the jewels that she was putting in it. There's this whole, um, it's called a sumptuary, the Sumptuary Act, um, and there's different iterations of it that appear throughout Henry's, Henry's reign and um, Elizabeth I's reign about who could give gifts of, you know, or wear, you know, certain clothes, but that also then tied into jewellery as well, of who could give and wear certain jewels. And, and the fact that Anne is acting as though she has the authority to be giving gifts of pearls and diamonds and things like that to Henry speaks volumes without really having to use any words. It's not, this is what I can do just to Henry, but to everybody around her. Yeah, I think it was that same year or else the year after she gave to her ladies-in-waiting. Each one got a, a palfrey, a, a horse. It was seen as like a smaller, more feminine horse with a saddle and like all the all the trippings. That's just such a lavish display of wealth and status and power. Again, it just goes into this idea of Anne knew that she really had to butter people up and she really had to show off that she was the queen. She didn't have the credit that... Catherine did you know the long-standing traditional queenship so she had to really hit home this idea of her now being the queen in terms of gifts given to her um we mentioned that one year when in 1532 um when Henry basically gave her the queen's apartments and her formal gift was of course all of the um the decorations and the furniture for that new space but the year after that um, it's New Year 1533, so Anne is already pregnant with Elizabeth. They may have been married, although the timing of their secret wedding is uh, is up for review. But this is the, the New Year's when uh, Cromwell, as the keeper of the jewel house, gets the sort of memo from Henry to release the royal jewels to Anne. So there is a extremely long list of not only jewels, but again, silver and gold plate that should be given to Anne. It says to deliver to the Lady of Pembroke, which is Anne's title, Marquess of Pembroke, uh, gilt plate, and a lot of it comes from different people, um, gilt flagons, uh, salt cellars, gilt bowls, uh, basins, candles, uh, candlesticks, all all sorts of really expensive things that um should be in her apartments if she is the queen i don't know it's just when you look at the the sort of the roles of the new year's gifts it's usually one thing you know like to this person this person gets one silver goblet or something this is two dozen items that cromwell is having to get out of the jewel house to give to anne so anne had some really lavish new years like she of of all of the the gifts given to all any of the queens over the years and and celebrated very well and why not if you're if you're going to partake in displacing a, another queen why not have a good new year it's very Anne and henry it's very showy it is but not in a i don't want to give the impression to people that we're necessarily um judging her like this isn't a sort of like message against christmas commercialism sort of thing <laughs> this this was a very, very strategic political move on both of their parts. I think Anne sits in direct contrast to Jane Seymour. The first recorded gift that Henry gave Jane um, was actually um, as part of Anne's household in 1534. Um, and it was uh, just a st standard household plate, really. But other than that, 
there isn't much known other than after her death in the October of 1537. Um, Hen- Henry wasn't really feeling quite up to a big 12 days of Christmas celebration and he actually ended up observing a very quiet Christmas at Greenwich. Henry's next Christmas New Year's, though, was uh, particularly eventful. <laughs> In 1540, by the time Christmas started to roll around, the court was actually abuzz because preparations were being made to receive Henry's newest queen, Anne of Cleves. Anne of Cleves set sail from uh, Calais in France over to Dover in at the end of December 1540, and she and Henry actually met on New Year's Eve in 1540 at uh, a stop on the way to London. Anne had landed in Dover and was coming to London, but Henry just could not wait. So he rode to Rochester and received Anne, although this was sort of an infamous meeting because it did not go very well. (laughs) No, it didn't. Yeah, as as Kate just mentioned, um, Henry first met her um, uh, in, in Rochester, and much in keeping with Henry's style and fashion, he liked to make an entrance. This was something Anacles wasn't very used to, so when he first presented himself to her, you know, in disguise, performing in this mask, she didn't actually know who he was. And then it's very well documented that Henry, when he first set eyes on her, was not best pleased either. So it just there's nothing going right in this interaction. I don't think if you wrote it for a show now, you could have planned it any better. Anne of Cleves, as as we'll continue to see, is like the queen of awkward Christmases. Um, she doesn't really have a good one for her first couple of years in England. The first one, she is approached by this guy who she has no idea who she is. She's been raised to be this like very humble, demure woman in line with the the traditional thought and this this guy she has no idea who he is comes and is like oh my love and like kisses her on the mouth and she is can't speak english and she's no idea what's going on oh, um, <laughs> and then henry i guess is civil but leaves the meeting telling his advisors this isn't gonna work I like think it- right off the bat I think it's one of my favourite Henry quotes of him just screaming almost at Cromwell. Like, I like her not. I like her not. And just yep. ultimately throwing a temper tantrum about this poor woman who's just probably sitting there like, what's just happened? Yeah. And I mean, she recovered herself very gracefully, I think, once she figured out what the hell was going on. But then it must have just been awkward for everybody because Henry's sulking for the rest of the 12 days of Christmas. And he's getting ready for this wedding that at this point he's determined he does not want. So... New Year 1541, everybody. Can you say party like Henry and Anne of Cleves meeting for the first time? (laughs) I mean, again, though, as our modern Christmases have come to be known for awkward family interactions, our New Year's Eves have become known for regrettable decisions. So this kind of fits in with that. So this year, if uh, you come into contact with an awkward stranger who yells things at you in a language you do not understand, you are observing a traditional Anne of Cleves New Year. There we go. And just just shout back at them that you don't like them. I think that's all right. (laughs) The year after this, so New Year, uh, Christmas 1541, New Year 1542, Anne had her first sort of regular Christmas at court. Although the awkward part was that at this point, a year later, she was no longer married to Henry and she was no longer the queen. Catherine Howard was the new queen. 
And as we can imagine, Henry was already lavishing her with gifts. It was a very uh, splendid Christmas court at Hampton Court that year. Everyone was a little iffy about Catherine Howard being queen. And especially they were awkward about the idea of Anne of Cleves showing up because, I mean, at least with Catherine uh, of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, you removed one before you brought in the other. This would be the first time that two of the queens had to interact civilly with each other in the same space. No one really knew how to take, you know, the, uh, the queen's reception of the person who had been in her position, what, 11 months before. But what I think this interaction does so beautifully is uh, like illustrate both of their, um, their, their, their grace and their composure. And actually sort of going against the typical perception of Catherine Howard as the sort of like empty headed teenager. It shows how well suited both of them were to this game, because this could have been a really, really, really awkward situation for both of them. And all eyes were on them. Like, how are they going to handle it? How is Anne of Cleves going to be with her replacement? And how is Catherine Howard going to react to having a former queen sort of challenging her role in that very subtle way and they both handled it I think quite beautifully. Yeah and I think that's evidenced through the gifts that were exchanged. Anne of Cleves you know she, she rocked up to, to Hampton Court you know with her small retinue again aware of the situation uh, and she gifted um, Catherine Howard and, and Henry two horses um, you know with a saddle and all, all you know everything that goes along with with a horse and then Catherine Howard actually reciprocates the the gift that um, Anna Cleese gives her gives her by actually gifting her two uh, two gifts that Henry gave her. So that was in the form of two small dogs and a and a ring. Once again, we actually get a really interesting account of this event through uh, who else but Gossip Girl Eustace Shepwe, who is still around at this point, uh, sending letters to all of his friends in Imperial Europe in the Holy Roman Empire. So I just wanted to read a little bit of that interaction because it shows all of the awkward politics going on. So Shepui writes that on the third day, the Lady Anne of Cleves sent the king a New Year's present of two large horses with violet velvet trappings, very expensive, and presented herself at Hampton Court with her suite. She was received there and she was shown to the queen's apartments to be received by Catherine Howard. Uh, Chapuis gives an account of her interview, and uh, he writes that Anne of Cleves actually insisted on addressing Catherine Howard on her knees. So she's showing this deference to Catherine Howard, which, you know, not not everyone was sure that she would do. And Catherine, in return, showed her the utmost kindness. The king then entered, and after a low bow to Lady Anne, embraced and kissed her. She occupied a seat near the bottom of the table at supper, but after the king had retired, the queen and Lady Anne danced together, and the next day all three dined together. And then Catherine gave Anne those gifts that Callie mentioned. So actually, they seem to have gotten on very well. I mean, they stayed up late dancing together. Um, Anne was given this place of honor in their in their celebrations, which she would continue to have as, you know, what was her title? The queen's honored sister or whatever. So it just shows that everyone's kind of making light of a really awkward situation. And I think it's interesting, too, that Henry plays as little a part of it as possible. He's like, I know I created this awkward situation for you two, but you guys can handle it. <laughs> I love it. He's like... No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm off. I'll see you later. I'm going go, go to bed. 
that again that all eyes are are, are on them and that there is no room for mistakes on either one's part we're gonna end the list by talking about Catherine parr's new year's gift and we're shifting the focus a little bit because though Catherine Shorley was receiving these impressive lavish gifts as queen you know she had very much the same jewels as the others for instance we're going to be looking at some gifts that she gave and received that are a little bit different to ones that the others were giving and receiving and that is how intimate they were so though she was surely getting these you know really impressive gifts she was also getting gifts from her stepchildren. You know, Catherine has this reputation as being very interested in the lives of her stepchildren. She was very good friends with the Lady Mary, Henry's daughter by Catherine of Aragon. And she was a mentor figure for both Princess or Lady Elizabeth and for Prince Edward because she was, um, you know, she was more Protestant. So her her leanings were more towards theirs and she encouraged their education. So there are actually quite a few instances of Catherine giving gifts and also receiving gifts from her stepchildren that just show this interesting, more intimate family dynamic that we don't really get from the others. If I'm honest with you, this is, apart from Anna Cleves's triumph at returning to court at Christmas, I, I, I think this is my favourite interaction that we have in gift exchange that we have. It's actually very touching that for New Year's 1547, there's a record of uh, little Prince Edward writing these, uh, what can only be called thank you notes, for all of the New Year's gifts that he had received that year. And one of the most touching ones is the one that he wrote to Catherine Parr. So even though uh, the ones for the King and Mary were very, you know, deferential and very polite and everything, the one that he writes to Catherine is very much personalized. There's a a personal message in it. And then he thanks her for the gift that she had sent him that year, which were two portraits of the king and herself. And she responds um, as as his mother. That's he refers to her as his mother. And, you know, she says, I'm glad you enjoyed the gift. Um, And then encouraging him as the future king to sort of like meditate on the success of uh, grandeur of his father and you know blah 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 but like she's it's much more of a like yeah I put thought into this this is a very touching gift for somebody and she's taking very seriously her role as his mother but also the mother of the future king while that gift is intimate and a lot of thought went into that I think it also stresses the utility and the purpose of gift giving at New Year's. Every gift was given for a reason, whether, you know, it was to stress a political alliance, um, a political motive, you know, uh, suggesting um, monarchical magnificence. She's encouraging him, you know, to, to be forward thinking and to think about his role later down the line, all whilst taking care to take a motherly approach and give him something that he can actually kind of keep close. You know, he's got those miniatures of Catherine and of, of, of Henry that I'm sure meant a lot to him. But my favorite gift that is related to Catherine Parr is one that she received. And this was from her stepdaughter, the Lady Elizabeth, who is the daughter of Anne Boleyn, of course. And this was uh, for New Year's 1545. Uh, She receives from Elizabeth a translation of the French poem, Mirror of the Sinful Soul. It's translated from the French into English by Elizabeth, who was um, 11 years old at this time. And 
it sounds great already, but then if I don't know if anyone's actually seen it, it's uh, very often on display at the Bodleian Library in Oxford, but it is this hand bound book and Elizabeth embroidered a cover for it that was, uh, you know, in gold thread. It, w- it would have been very beautiful when presented to Catherine. It has her initials KP on the front and on the inside, the translation is impeccable. Elizabeth liked to make these gifts for not only Catherine, but for Henry as well, just a a little bit more intimacy, showing off her learning a little bit, like inviting her parents to be proud of her. But actually, in this particular gift, she says to Catherine that this is almost a thank you gift for her because Catherine was encouraging Elizabeth's education. She recognized how intelligent Elizabeth was and how much potential she had. And this was uh, supposed to be between them. Elizabeth acknowledged that there might be mistakes in this. So please keep it to yourself. But it's just it's it's an intimate gift between I think uh, a girl who is looking for a mother and the woman who she had finally has come to her to fulfill that role. So I don't know. It just every time I see it, every time I think about it, it just really touches me. I don't think you can help but be moved by that at all, really. You know, as you said, she's 11 and translating things from French. It's, it's, it's a lovely one to end on, I think. You know, we started this episode by stressing just how formal uh, this ritual of gift giving at New Year's is and how lavish the gifts were. And, you know, um, Anne Boleyn giving Henry all of these extravagant things. And in return, she's receiving the crown jewels and how uh, people's worth really is measured by the worth of their gifts that they give to the king. So it's interesting to end on one that shows that this process could also be very intimate as well. And the ones that are recorded a lot of the times are not the intimate ones. So we have to sort of peek between the lines there and think that some years, especially in the 20 years that Catherine of Aragon was queen, there was probably a time when she was receiving these very touching gifts from her husband. It wasn't all about the glitz and glamour. That was a huge part of it. But we have to allow them some um, some personality as well personality is often missed i think it, uh, from lists of kind of new year's gifts or inventories and things like that on the face of it but then when you start digging a little bit you know you can kind of see actually there's a lot of thought that's gone into this and that there's a lot of meaning behind this so uh wishing all of our listeners a very very happy happy holiday season and a very happy new year we will see you in the new year we are already planning a second series of episodes that's going to hit you probably later in the winter uh keep your eyes peeled on our socials twitter and instagram for more information about that and in the meantime if you want to give us a new year's gift of some kind you can follow us on any of our socials or on spotify and if you feel like it you can leave a rating on apple Podcasts. i guess even if it's negative we'll embrace the new year's awkwardness (laughs) we will embrace it and we will make the best of it in true and of cleave spirit but if you feel like leaving us a review it helps us be noticed on apple Podcasts. so uh consider doing that if you enjoyed this episode Thank you so much for listening to the holiday special of Six Queens podcast. 
next year, look for the new series of Six Queens coming to you probably later in the winter. In the meantime, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Spotify, and look for our podcast on Apple and Google. You can also read more about the Queens on our website. We are on social media. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook coming soon. You'll find a full transcript of this episode, plus the resources we use to prepare for our conversations online. Happy holidays and long live the queens.